0: Let us pray. Loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be good and pleasing in your sight, my rock and my redeemer, amen. You all don't know how tempted I was to dress up in a full suit of armor for worship today. I'm big into cosplay and so like, that was was a really hard temptation to fight. (laughs) And i have the means to do it i think i have all the the breastplate and the shield i could do it it would have been funny i have a complicated relationship with ephesians well actually i have a complicated relationship with like most of scripture but that's that's beside the point it's sort of like my relationship with god if it doesn't confuse the heck out of me make me think give me hope and tick me off from time to time. It's not really a very deep relationship, if you ask me. In Ephesians, the writer, who may be Paul or someone else, gives me a little theological whiplash sometimes throughout this letter. There's parts like chapter three, verses 16 to 17. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. That's powerful and meaningful and beautiful. And I think if I had gone through a traditional confirmation program, I probably would have picked that one as my confirmation verse. And then there are verses... Like chapter 5, 22 to 23, wives, be subject to your husbands as you are to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church. It makes me uncomfy. (laughs) Good thing I'm not preaching on that today. It's complicated. And there are parts of Scripture that should make us question and should challenge us. And this passage is no different. On the one hand, I'm sort of put off by this sort of battle imagery that is used. It can be taken so out of context and so easily misused, and it has been many times over. This text has often been used as a tool of political manipulation. On the other hand, I get real Dungeons and Dragons vibes from this text. I heard that some people in this congregation do play Dungeons and Dragons, so this is a a nod to you all. I only recently started playing. It was a pandemic hobby that I started because I was desperate for community and human interaction, weren't we all? But I think it's a hobby that's definitely gonna last. I remember in high school, my dad tried to get me to start, hi dad. (laughs) My dad tried to get me to start a DAD campaign with my friends and none of their parents would let me because they thought I was trying to get them to join a cult. It's a true story, <laughs> but recently I started playing, and I absolutely love it. My character is a paladin, which is, if you don't know, a sort of a cross between a priest and a warrior for justice and righteousness. So I'm, I'm basically playing myself as a D&D character, um, but my character can do magic, and she has special armor, not unlike what's described in the text today. It allows her to take on divine characteristics, gives her immense strength, and do things like summon lightning. And she wouldn't be much without this armor, especially doing battle against the evil forces that she stands against. In my current campaign, we're in fact battling against a character often referred to as the devil. So you maybe can see why I read this passage and immediately think, of Dungeons and Dragons, but this armor in this text is a little bit different from the armor that my character has acquired along the way, and perhaps it's different than our traditional assumptions about armor in general. We might read this passage and think that the writer is telling the Ephesians to prepare for battle, to prepare to fight. In fact, the first time I read this passage, I tried writing it down from memory, which is a common practice that I do when I'm preparing for sermons. And instead of writing, stand against the wiles of the devil, I wrote down to fight against the wiles of the devil. But the word fight or fighting does not appear in this text at all. In fact, it doesn't appear anywhere in the letter to the Ephesians nor do the words war or battle. So what is this spiritual armor meant for if not spiritual warfare? Well, words of violence may not appear anywhere in this letter, but the word peace appears seven times, including once in this passage. We have the shield of faith, helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and boots for preaching the gospel of peace. All protective items, defensive items. I even argue that the sword of the spirit, the one thing that might be considered a weapon is defensive. I know from my time learning fencing in high school that the best tool for disarming an opponent for making them no longer a threat without using violence is a sword. I know this not because I was good at this move, but people were really good at disarming me and making my sword fly out of my hand. It was not fun. This armor of God that we're meant to put on is one of peace and protection for resisting the wiles of the devil, for resisting evil schemes. And this metaphor is so very clear because it's modeled after the armor of the Roman soldiers. Perhaps the writer was looking at a Roman soldier when he wrote it, thinking of where this text also references Isaiah as well. But this was a symbol, these Roman soldiers were a symbol of violence and oppression to early Christ followers. And yet, they took that symbol in this metaphor and they flipped it. They made it counter-cultural by turning it into a symbol of peace. Just as the cross, a symbol of shame, violence and death became a symbol of everlasting life, love, and hope. This armor, which was perhaps modeled after a symbol of evil, was used to talk about resisting evil. This text is not a call to battle, but a call to resistance. To resist the wiles of the devil. Now I don't know if I believe in the devil, but I do believe in evil. It's not something that I hear often talked about from the pulpit, so it's going to be interesting. I believe in the kind of evil that schemes to to divide God's people. The kind that encourages willful ignorance and turning away from people who need help. I believe in the kind of evil that seeks to challenge our baptismal identity and tell us that we are not gods, that we are not beloved. The kind that tries to tell us that our worth is determined by our usefulness, our perfection, our money, our relationships, the color of our skin, our sexuality, or our gender. I believe in the kind of evil that worms its way into our spirits when we've spent months alone during a pandemic, despairing over when we be able to hug our loved ones again. I believe in the kind of evil that tells us that we don't belong and that we are not worthy of love dignity, or kindness. And this kind of evil is hard to resist. It's hard to endure and stay strong when you're surrounded by things that make you question yourself and try to instill fear in you. It's not always blatant or outright. It's often systemic and vast, disguised as policy or social norms. That's why the passage calls them wiles or schemes. They come at you from the side, from the unexpected places where we are most vulnerable. But the letter to the Ephesians has given a clue about resistance and what makes it easier. And that's community. And I believe in the power of community. Throughout the entire letter, the writer talks about the importance of community, how through Christ, God has drawn all people to him, and that it is in each other, in the support and love that is found here, that we can find strength to endure and resist the challenges that this world throws at us. Christ has torn down the walls that divide us, and God has made us new, holy and righteous imitators of God made in divine likeness. The temple, us. The temple is expansive and all people are drawn together into this holy dwelling place for God. Those who were once strangers or outsiders or aliens have been made members the household of God. God has given us each other so that when we struggle to pray, others may pray for us. When we are lost and we don't know how to move in this world, we give each other guidance. When we are told everywhere else that we are not good enough, here we are told we are enough. God equips us with the holy armor of community that gives us strength, deepens our faith, and reminds us that through Christ we have already been saved. And that beautiful community is you all. Sitting here in this sanctuary, it is you watching via live stream, it is those who gather in small groups to learn, to discuss, comfort one another, and support each other. Every week after worship, I talk to someone new who says to me how happy they are to be back at church, rejoicing and celebrating in their first service that they've attended in person in over a year. They talk about being strengthened in their faith now that they're back, becoming more hopeful and refreshed because they're back here with their community. God's presence and power are truly evident here in this space, and it is truly beautiful. And while the letter to the Ephesians is written to the early Christian community as a whole, and not necessarily individuals, I can't help but wonder what the writer might have said about God's armor now in a time of a new kind of community, a time of distance and possibly a return to isolation as we endure another wave of this pandemic. What might they have said about people who are pushed out of their churches because of who they are? People who feel distant from a loving Christian community. You see, I think this armor This armor metaphor, meant to strengthen the body of Christ as a whole, can also be used to strengthen individuals, especially now. Six months into the pandemic, I remember sitting on my couch, talking to a friend and despairing over the idea of this lockdown, this isolation lasting another six months. Retrospectively, I can look at that and laugh a little bit. I didn't know how I was going to find the strength to keep a hopeful outlook. Things felt so bleak. But the strength was there. And I wish that I had read this passage then because I needed to hear it. I needed to hear that I don't need to be strong. We don't need to be strong because God is strong for us, and I believe in God's strength. I believe that God equips us in love. and We don't have to resist on our own or rely on our own strength and our own endurance when we are struggling. This armor that's talked about in the text today is not of our making, It is of divine origin. The very first verse of this passage reads, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his power. But the way that the Greek should actually be translated is be strengthened by the Lord. This strength does not come from us. It does not come from within ourselves, but it is a strength that comes from God from the one who strengthens us, the one who clothes us in armor as a defense against and as a means of resisting evil that seeks to tear us down. That strength comes from God who has already defeated that evil, who has claimed us and remade us in divine image, who calls us beloved, comes from a God who has placed Christ over all the authorities of this world, and no power can tell us who and whose we are except for Christ. And so no matter what this future might hold, whether we find ourselves able to gather here and be strengthened by this loving community, or if we find ourselves isolated we can lean on a strength that is not our own because it is god who equips us to resist to endure who gives us strength and who calls us beloved amen